All right. Last thing, I'm, I'm, about, I'm about done, so I can step off, but a couple of weeks ago, we were able to commission and pray for Steve Osborne, who is our new uh, pastor of discipleship, who will be sharing, uh, I, I'm just excited to have you here, you're sharing a bunch of stuff, in fact, I just, I'm not doing much anymore, it's great, I get Whatever. to dedicate yeah. babies and Whatever. stuff, it's awesome. Yeah, something like that. But we prayed for him and commissioned him from service, and uh, Steve uh, is a gift to us. We're so grateful to have him joining our team here, and who will be teaching today, and I would just want to pray for you as as you get started. Sometimes, once your first time teaching in a new church, it's like, you know, we'll see. We'll (laughs) We'll see. see. I know. Yeah, you know. Here we go. The East German judge (laughs) is right here, right? So I have my scorecard ready, but let's go. Let's let's pray for him. God, we thank you so much uh, for Steve and Debbie Osborne and that you brought him here to us. I pray now that as he teaches from the word, God, that you'd shape and change our hearts. Lord, speak to each one of us. Let us hear what we need to hear to uh, grow in our understanding of who you are and who we are because of it. So we thank you. Give you this time. Amen. 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 Thanks, Ryan. Well, and as Ryan kind of leaves. I just want to tell you how much fun it's been for Debbie and me to, to be here and to be joining the team. And, and I think this is a fine thing to say, but like, okay, the, this team is amazing and has an absolute blast being together. I'm just going to say that. So, you know, there are things where you get to do and it's like, oh yeah, I, we're actually working right now. Not because we're being dismissive. We are really are working or whatever, but listening to people's stories and just the joy and the anticipation and the energy of, um, of what we think God wants to do in and through Seacoast has just been a blast to get grafted into. So, so thanks. Thanks for all of that. We're just, I don't know, we're just having, having fun. And, and part of that fun is, and Ryan kind of alluded to this, but I think, but um, part of that fun is... Um, that we've had the great, incredible, life-giving joy of moving this week, right? And it just isn't it just invigorating to move. Don't you, don't you love? Let's see if should we show of hands. How have you loved to move? You're just jealous of us right now. Yeah, you just love it. You love packing. How, how you love love packing, and you and you love kind of schlepping things, and then you realize that that you don't have space for all this stuff. So I've been telling the team, I'd like to do a community outreach on the gravel parking lot that is a bonfire of all of my stuff that I no longer need. Maybe you guys kind of in, in with that, Dave, you good, you good with that? Well, we've had fun. It, I guess you'd call it fun moving. We had kind of a, a crazy little move thing where we got in the car Tuesday after staff meeting and met the people in Northern California and then drove back down the next day after they loaded the trucks, made a stop in Orange County, unloaded it all or whatever, and so here, here we are. So the, I'm just saying all of that to let you know, I don't even know what my name is right now in this. But hopefully as we open God's Word, we'll enjoy, enjoy some of this. And part of the reason that I, I, I thought about uh, what we were going to do this morning is that, um, that I, I thought it would kind of connect to some degree with our messy faith conversation and with kind of this whole transition that Debbie and I are in. And here's what I mean by that. One of the questions that I have asked regularly in transitions or just kind of in the journey of life goes something like this, who am I now? That, that, that is you, as I think about being a part of Seacoast, joining the team, new relationships, new community, all that kind of stuff. As I think about our seniors, 
right, up here. And, and Ryan framed out, here are all the options, and maybe there are plenty of other options about what these seniors are going to be doing come graduation, right? Who am I now? And as I watch people go through life transitions of all every different kind of stripe, job transitions and life transitions and grandparenting transitions and, and, and all through the generations, asking that question, who am I now? And, and in one sense, it kind of feels I don't know, kind of silly to ask that. Like, you know, you're the same guy. No, you're not going to get any taller, right? Like, I'm never going to be able to, I'm never going to be able to play basketball with Josh. That's just going to be the truth of it. But, but there's something broader than that. And, and the reason I ask myself that question on a regular basis is, is because I'm tempted to make a different kind of, well, really, it's an assertion. And it goes something like this. I'm somebody because, and then I have a blank that I fill in. I, I am somebody if, and then I have a blank that I fill in. I have somebody when, and then I have a blank that I fill in. I am somebody because, and then I have a blank that I fill in. And it could be anything. It could be some particular achievement. It could be the schooling that I got. It could be, it could be, it could be. But I'm tempted to get my identity from those places. And so I have to come as a believer in Jesus around something that is an identity that trumps all of the other blessings, or all the other identities, excuse me. It's that identity that lasts for eternity. Because as a believer in Jesus, I am in him. And so that's the way I want to look at today. How is it that we collect ourselves as believers in Jesus? And if you're new to the faith or you're trying to figure some things out, this is what the good news of Jesus, what makes the good news of Jesus so good. It's not everything, but it's an awful lot of what makes the good news of Jesus so good. And so we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. For those of you who are really familiar with the Bible, you're thinking, wow, bro, you're just cherry picking. Romans 8, really like, okay, yeah, because... The, some people think Romans chapter 8 is like the high point crescendo of the Bible. And if you think I'm cherry picking, you're absolutely right. So anyway, this is what we're going to be talking about. Messy faith, who am I now? I'm tempted to answer this in different kinds of ways. But here's kind of the four categories that we're going to look at in Romans chapter 8. We'll, di we'll discuss them a little bit, hopefully to connect them to our life. So here we go. There are the four categories. The law court, the family dinner table, the arena, and the finish line. Law court family dinner table, the arena, and the finish line. And so we'll just hit a small sections. We're not going to mine everything in Romans 8. There's no possible way to do that. But I hope these categories in answer, asking and answering the question, who am I now, helps give shape and meaning to that identity that trumps all of our other identities and informs all of our identities even now. Here we go. So here's the law court. We'll be in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 in the law court. This is the way that it reads in English Standard Version. Here we go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's leave that up there just for a second. Make sure we kind of get it. I want you to notice there that there are a couple, there, there are, there's a phrase that's used twice that kind of ushers us into this who am I now conversation. It's 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's in verse 1. There's no condemnation. And the spirit of life in verse 2 has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so Paul begins this with this legal understanding of what it is that has happened to us in and through Jesus. And in this aspect of no condemnation goes something like this, that there in the Greek text it reads there is not one condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That there's nothing that can come against us in the court of law. Now, Earlier in the book, he has declared in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So everybody is, un, well, let's just say it, everybody is under legitimate condemnation. Everybody's done stuff wrong. Everybody has a heart that is not disposed and inclined toward God. And the book of Romans develops that in incredible ways that is just kind of like melts us if we read it and look at it, look at ourselves through that lens. And now on the back end, Paul says, but because you are in Christ Jesus by faith, there is not now not one condemnation. I think we might be able to agree with one another that it's a good thing not to be on the wrong side of the law. We, we, could we agree on that? Yeah? It's probably a, a good thing. When Debbie and I are driving back and forth to, to Northern California the, this week, it's so interesting to me that, that when you see a black and white marked car on the shoulder, how many brake lights come on in front of you? Have you, know, have you noticed this? So the speed limit may be 65 or 70, depending on what section of the 99 you are on, which means that everybody's traveling somewhere north of that, right? That's kind of the way that it is. So on the Autobahn, on, on 99 or 5, or pick your, pick your interstate freeway or whatever, you see that, and suddenly the speed limit becomes 42. Have you seen that? Yeah, like, four, really, 42? You're going to do 42 here because the sea of brake lights happens because even with that, no one wants to be on the wrong side of the law and have to make a court appearance in Tulare or wherever it is that you are going to go, be going as well. In all of that, Paul says, if you are in and when you are in Christ Jesus, there is not one condemnation that comes against you because of what it is that Jesus has done. See, in that law court, in that place where we would rightfully have things that could condemn us, nothing does because of what Jesus has done. And, and not only that, but, but in addition to this, and he just peers into this, but there's so much here. He says, not only has that happened, but if you're in Christ Jesus, you've been set free from the law of sin and of death. So in other words, what got you in, the, in trouble in the first place, Steve Osborne, has the power of that has been broken so that you can begin to live in the freedom, not just of forgiveness, but resurrection, life, and power. That's why Good Friday and Easter always go together. Because in Jesus, both of those things have happened. Forgiveness by what he did on Good Friday and resurrection life because of what he did on Sunday. So in, in, this, there, in the law court, there's now not a single condemnation that comes to us for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that then, as cool as that is, it kind of gets us to this place where legally 
we're good, but there's way, way more. See, that new legal standing before God gets us now to a family dinner table. That's the next section in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. This is the way that Paul describes that family, family dinner table. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That last verse is going to tee up the next, the next section. But if we go back to that previous slide here, we see here that the spirit, that we did not receive this spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We've received this a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the word for daddy. It's an Aramaic word, and I can remember kind of like it was yesterday. Debbie and I, unlike Ryan and Sarah, did not spend an extended time in, in Israel. We, got, we did the tour thingy or whatever, too. So it's pennies on the dollar for their incredible experience. But one of the things that just... He still gives me goosebumps. It gave me goosebumps first service. I think it will this time as well. I heard in Jerusalem this little girl's voice cry out, Abba. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's, that's what it is. That, that, that still is going on. That this little girl cried out, Daddy, in Jerusalem. And I thought, that's, exact, that, 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 that's what it is. That, that you and I as believers in Jesus cry out, Daddy, in these darling little voices to God Almighty, like, like the creator God, the, the, the one who, who set the universe in motion, the one who measures it with the span of his hands, the one who counts, knows all of the stars and he's numbered them. That creator God, who we cry out to him, Dad, Dad. I was, I was Debbie and I worked with a college ministry, a ministry to college students, Campus Crusade, now crew, and um, and one of the many things we did with them was we had a, a regional job where we got to interact with teams and help teams on local campuses, and I was visiting one of those local local campuses, and, and um, the guy who, who was there, um, I was staying at his house, and he said, um, it, we're having dinner, and he said, um, he said hey, listen, I, dude, I know you have two sons, um, but I, I have four daughters, and I just want to, and I mean no politically whatever charged comment by this. He said, I want you to know, girls are different than boys. <laughs> now, if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down, okay? But girls are different than boys. He said, it's just different at my house, and again, I, I know. So we're sitting down at dinner, right? Just having family dinner with them, and he's at the head of the table, and I'm at the foot of the table, and there was a point the point in the dinner conversation where all four of his daughters and his wife were talking to him at the same time. I'm not, there is no exaggeration to that. They were not talking to one another. They were not talking to the sky. They were not talking to the TV. They were talking to him at the same time. And he looks across the table at me and he just smiles and he said, he mouths the words, Girls are different than boys. Yeah, right? Because Debbie and I having sons, we just, we were so grateful for a grunt from our sons, right? 
you know, especially when they hit the teenage years, like, <gasps> it's like, oh, gosh, man, I just, my love cup, my love tank is just filled now, man. <laughs> so awesome. And, and, and we're in this dance still where I, I, I want my sons to call their mother on Mother's Day, but I can't text my sons and say, call your mother on Mother's Day because their mother will ask me, did you text your sons to call you mommy on Mother's Day? Like we're in all of this. Girls are different than boys. All of them are talking with his wife at the same time, and I thought, that's it. That, that's the family dinner table. That's what it means to be able to relate, to interact, to cry out, to call dad God Almighty. To have this just incredible, beautiful, rich, unfettered, of course dad is listening to me because I'm me, and he is him. And so he always pays attention to me because he's my dad. And I can always talk to him, even when other people are talking to him at the same time. Doesn't matter, because he's listening to me, which he probably actually was. I wouldn't be surprised if he knew exactly what was going on in all of those conversations. But in all of that darlingness with daughters, God, God bless them or whatever, also hears the grunts of boys in there. And together in that family dinner table, we have this beautiful picture of what it means to be in the presence of God. See, it's not just our legal standing. Who am I now? There's not one condemnation in the court of law. Awesome. I mean, awesome, right? And we all agree it's not good to be, be good to be on the wrong side of the law. But then because we are in Jesus, it goes to places that we can hardly even imagine where we sit around a family dinner table, metaphorically, of course, with God Almighty, although it's a picture that Jesus used on a regular basis, to say, here's what the banquet's going to look like. And because you are in me, you will have a table, you will have a seat at that table, and it will never go away. It will never go away. Because you've been adopted into my family, and you call my Father, God Almighty, Dad. See, who am I now? Well, we are those things. In the law court, not one condemnation. In the family dinner table, we cry out to God Almighty. We call him dad. Unbelievable, right? But there's kind of a thick tension that happens. And as good as all of that is, at least for most of us, we think, okay, yeah, that's really great, and it's, it's really nice, and it's kind of really churchy and it's really welcoming and it's all those great things but like I'm going into an arena tomorrow it could be work it could be it could be a lot of different things but like I'm going somewhere and I I like have to gear up and, and that's so Paul knowing that right says okay now this th next picture that I want to develop for you is the arena and he develops this in, in Romans chapter 8, where he begins to acknowledge kind of the reality of the fact that we are already all of those things, but we are not yet fully and finally there. Here's the way he describes it in Romans chapter 8. He says, As for I consider that the sufferings of this present, present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was, it was, excuse me, was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Okay. We, you know, th- these first two sections, at least for me, have been thick enough, right? Who am I now listening to that or whatever? Like these go, go deep. But now we're into something where Paul's going to pull together the complexity of what it means to be in Jesus Christ and live on planet Earth right now. And what he says, if we can go back to the, to the first slide, is this. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. We'll just pause there for a second. There's just such a grounded reality to this, first of all, to say, look, <laughs> I realize that while we, there's not one condemnation in the law court, and then we sit at a family dinner table and call God dad, in there, that we also are in an arena where we are walking in and through difficulty. And the, the, the watchword that he uses for this is sufferings. And I, I guess I'll just say out loud, from my experience, maybe you share some version of this as well. There are a few things that are as disconcerting, that is, are as discombobulating, that is, are as disorienting as genuine suffering. It gets your attention. It's kind of like pain in one sense. And maybe it's kind of a, a window into that. But, but you know that, right, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, right, nothing else on your body matters but that thumb, right? This, nothing else matters. The thumb is screaming, yelling, crying, pay attention to me, I hurt, alarms are going off, and all that kind of stuff is happening. And by extension, suffering is the same thing. Well, then you, when you're walking through some stuff, when you're walking through some loss, that's why Ryan framed out Mother's Day so well for so many of us. It's so exceedingly complicated, Mother's Day is, for so many of us. And when you've walked through suffering, when you've walked through loss, when you're walking in that, it's like it's just screaming so loudly that you can't hear every, anything else. And Paul says God is going to take that and turn it right side up so that that will lead actually to glory in eternity. And in that, we follow in the footsteps of a Savior who walked that journey out. That the suffering that Jesus incurred was turned into glory. The humility that brought about his humiliation was turned into resurrection power when he walked out of the grave. And so when, God, when, when Jesus did this, we simply follow the footsteps in our suffering of the one who has already seen this happen and transformed and turned right side up. So it doesn't explain everything. It doesn't explain everything at all. N.T. Wright, the, the great author in his book, Evil and the Justice of, of God, t- talks about this. He said, look, The Bible offers very little about the why of suffering. It just doesn't really go there. It doesn't explain why this is the best of all worlds. It doesn't explain why suffering occurs. It doesn't really do that. What it does, rather, is talk about what God is doing about that. What God is doing about the evil and injustice in the world. And what God will do with the suffering of his people. 
that he will turn it right side up and somehow it will amount to glory in eternity. And so you and I live in this thick tension then of the fact that there's not one condemnation in the law court and that at the family dinner table, we just, we just are all talking to God the Father at the same time and he's just got this huge smile on his face as he loves us and welcomes us to that table. And we walk out of that family dinner table, if you will, into the challenges of life And rather than all of the feelings that go with who am I now, God must have forsaken me, we embrace the absolute opposite. And that is that God is going to take this and turn it into glory. You know, God gave all of us, but certainly the people of Paul and Jesus' day, a songbook, the Psalms. And in the Psalms, those things reflect just the human condition and all, all of it, <laughs> all of it in the human condition. That's why there's such incredible variety. But the largest single category of Psalms are lament Psalms, Psalms that cry out about the cruelty or the condition of the world. And the largest category within the lament Psalms, the largest category of lament Psalms are personal lament Psalms, which in an honor and shame group-oriented culture is a remarkable statement in and of itself. But here's the kicker. On the cross, Jesus borrowed one of those lament psalms, Psalm 22, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the language of when suffering happens and it's so brutal, God has given us language to say, yes, God, what is happening? And in Jesus' case, the forsaken, the forsakenness actually happened so that you and I never would be. He took it all. He answered the question. He answered the bell by taking all of the forsakenness upon himself so that you and I would never be forsaken. And that's the way that Paul ends the chapter. It's the way he ends the chapter. That because of what Jesus has done that is so good in the arena is that he's taken all of that upon himself so that you and I would never be forsaken and that's the final, the finish line. This is the way that Paul develops it in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. He says it it like this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Oh, Right, it's a list. As it's written, we are, we are, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. There's suffering, right? And yet, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, turning it upside down. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That what God is doing in and through all of this, what it means to be in Christ, is to never be separated from his love. So when you're in the arena, when you've hit your proverbial thumb with a hammer, when it's screaming at you and nothing else seems to make matter or make sense and you're just in pain, what's happening there is not that we are forsaken. 
is not that God has walked away, is not that God is uncaring and doesn't care. What's happening, rather, is that we remain surrounded and confident, convinced that we remain in the love of God. See, when, <laughs> when, Paul, when Paul points us to this finish line, if you will, this end game in which we're experiencing now, which well, something that we will fully and finally experience in eternity. He, he points to something that the Apostle John developed in, in the Revelation, in, the, in the, the book of Revelation, where in the last couple of chapters in John 21 and 22, John develops this picture of what eternity will look, look like. And, and one of the things I've chuckled about is I, I've read this and experienced this over time is that is this that that John describes this place in which God will be at the center the new heavens and the new earth will come together there will be no veil in between them and we will be together and God will be in our midst he will be right at the center right of all life and Jesus our brother who has taken on humanity for eternity will be walking around somehow in eternity and in that place, when we get there, surrounded and now fully and finally experiencing the love of God, there will be a place, John describes, where there will be no more crying or mourning and no more tears. And almost every time I read that, I start to tear up. Because <laughs> I can't imagine that place. I mean, I can, but I can't. Because here's the last little thing that John adds that I think just gets right with what Paul said. In that place, there will be no more, no more pain. Can you imagine that? No pain. Not because we're numb and anesthetized to pain, but because it's gone. No relational pain. No brokenness pain. No loss pain. No any kind of pain. It'll be gone, banished forever as we fully and finally experience that finish line in the love of God. Who am I now? I'm so tempted to fill in that blank with other things. I'm someone because. I'm someone if. I'm someone when. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with any of those things, but there's an identity that lasts for eternity that informs all of those other identity markers. And in the law court, it's not one condemnation. At the family dinner table, we cry out, Abba, Father, and we have direct access to God Almighty. In the arena that Jesus will, will invert suffering, and turn it into glory, and we walk in his footsteps because it's exactly what he did, and we walk in those footsteps. And there'll be a finish line someday where all of this will look like nothing. It won't look like anything because we were surrounded by the love of God, living in the love of God with God at the center. Welcome the worship team up, and we're going to get ready, and we're going to respond to the Lord in worship. But I want to invite you just to pray with me. 
and to go before the Lord and embrace and to, to drink in these things that he's offered to you and me, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, this true identity that lasts for eternity that is yours right now. Let's pray. So, Father, as we come and we come before your word, we, we bow before you. We're doing these incredible things for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as incredible as the law court is, the family dinner table is that much better. And as challenging as the arena is, Lord, the arena will one day be gone and there will be no more pain. And there will be joy that is unimaginable. And there will be fullness of life and the glory of the Lord will cover <laughs> the earth as the waters cover the seas. I don't even know what that means. The waters cover the seas. I just know it means that we will be full and it will be thick and rich and beautiful and awesome. And so Lord, as we embrace these truths in this already but not yet place that we are in, I pray, Lord, that we would live in the truest and deepest sense of who we are in you. Who am I now? We are yours, Lord. And we want to say thank you to you and we want to sing back to you in Jesus' name.